Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It's funny when we approach some of these stories, we always like to align ourselves with the heroes of the stories, right? Like I'm kind of Jesus in this story, right? In my life, you're probably not. Um, I mean, you might be. I don't, I don't know you. So um, I just know me. And oftentimes my flesh wants to go there. And then the spirit's like, mm, read it again, buddy. Read it again. You know, you're Pharisee sometimes. I'm like, oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, Herodian sometimes. I just want to be like Jesus. We have to be very careful when we're reading and applying God's word to our lives. We have to resist the temptation to take the scriptures out of context in order to help us defend what we want when really the message is clearly against them. Today, Pastor James uses the accounts of the final days of Jesus here on earth to illustrate just how flawed our human flesh is. Even more significant is how perfect Jesus was as he engaged his accusers with his perfect understanding of God's will, even in his final days and hours here on earth. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 12 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. So we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and, and this is like the final week of Jesus's life on this, on this earth, right? His, his uh, three years, three to three and a half years of public ministry on planet earth. And we have, uh, you know, we're, we're like approaching the halfway point of that last week, okay? What we would call the Passion Week. And every step of the way, man, he's been all leading up to Jerusalem, and this just uh, this just highlights the fact that the enemy was working overtime against preventing Jesus from going to the cross. And so Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's turning over tables. He's driving out the tax collector, you know, the, all those guys within the temple who are just taking advantage of the people who just want to worship God. He's doing those types of things. And now, after proclaiming this parable of these evil tenants, um, these evil farmers, to these, the religious leaders. The religious leaders are looking for ways, again, they've been doing this for three years now, but they're, they're actively looking for ways to trap Jesus. Okay, We want to trap him. But nothing they're doing is working. Nothing they're doing is working at all. Because why? Because he's too smart. He's too smart. And they're like, well, you, you and I would say, I would hope you would agree with this. You're like, duh. Um, he's God in flesh. And we think with our human wisdom, we're going to get one over on God. That's never going to work, by the way. So don't even try, right? Like his wisdom and understanding and knowledge far exceeds the brightest minds on the planet today. Uh, and, and even to go along with that, his, his artistic creativity far exceeds even the best artists on this planet today. I mean, he's amazing. And here he is, he's just, he's going through Jerusalem, he's doing, the, doing what he's supposed to do, and he's addressing these religious people when they come to him with their issues, and their issues are always about him. And verse 13 is where we see a convergence, a coming together of enemies to attack one person. Jesus, he does break down, he breaks down walls, he breaks down barriers, and sometimes that's barriers between two enemies so they can come together against him, okay? So we think it's always like, 
so that, you know, it's peaceful and all that stuff. Oh, no, not in this story. You have two enemies that come together because now they have a common enemy, and his name is Jesus. Verse 13 of chapter 12, it says, later the the leaders, those are the religious leaders from from context-wise, from the first 12 verses of chapter 12, okay, that was all part of that parable, actually even going back into chapter 11, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod, um, or Herodians, your Bible may say, to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested, to lay a snare for him. That, that word trap there, in your brain, you should be thinking of uh, hunting. They are hunting Jesus. And they're trying to lay snares for Jesus. But up until this point, nothing they have said or nothing they have tried has ever worked. So their, their thought is, okay, well, let's get the Pharisees. That's a, 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 another religious group and one of the ruling religious groups, um, definitely more of the conservative side in, in Israel, okay? You have the Pharisees, you have Sadducees. We'll see the Sadducees next week. They're sad, you see, because they don't believe in a resurrection. So it's like, what's the point? What, like, what are you guys doing? Um, but they're more of a liberal religious group. Pharisees are more of the conservative religious group. So you have the, you have the Pharisees, and then you have the Herodians, uh, the supporters of Herod. Herod, the baby killer. You guys remember him, or it was his dad. Um, he, but he falls right in, line, right in line with there. Just a bad ruler, bad leader. And the Pharisees hated the Herodians. They hated these guys. They hated them. They despised them. They, they felt like the, these uh, supporters of Herod they, number one, the supporters of Herod loved Rome. They loved Rome. And they loved the, the fact that Rome had occupied Israel. They loved that. They loved that. And why? I don't, I don't understand too much of the, the reasoning behind that, but they felt that though Rome comes in and then it kind of gave them um, a little bit of boost in power, so to speak. These uh, Herodians, um, they, the, the Pharisees, as my note says here, they saw them as um, evil usurpers of the throne of David. That's how the Pharisees thought of the Herodians. The Herodians, Herod was an Edomite. He was not a Jew, right? And so that traces all the way back into the Old Testament. So the Pharisees, who are the strict conservative ones, look at these Herodians, who are definitely more on the liberal side, look at them as like, you're not even one of us. You're not even one of us. And they hated these guys. They despised these guys. And so the religious leaders said, hey, you know what we should do? Let's get these guys together with these guys, and you two come together and figure out how to get that one guy, Jesus. And so they do come together because they have a common enemy. The Herodians didn't like Jesus all that much. The Pharisees certainly didn't like Jesus all that much because he kept messing up everything that both groups were doing. He was saying things that they didn't agree with. And he was pointing out the fact that within their teachings, their doctrines, and and even their theology, they were all way off. They were all way off. Even the Pharisees, who were strict adherents to to the law. Jesus like, you don't understand it. You don't get it. Have you ever read it? Like, that was a common uh, response that Jesus had to the, the leading religious leaders of the day. Have you ever read the Bible? I'm hearing you talk a lot. Have you actually ever read the Bible? See that a lot nowadays. 
with a lot of Christians. If you don't believe me, just log into social media. And they're making all these posts. And my thought is, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read it? Because it's not, if you have, it's not showing forth in your communication. In fact, a lot of what you're saying is contradicting what the Bible actually says. A lot of what the Pharisees were doing was contradicting what the actual word of God said. And Jesus called them out on it. And he had every right to call them out on it. And it's been, it's been noted, the one people that he almost always went after or maybe was combative against were the religious people who were misrepresenting God. And in their misrepresentation of God, they were abusing people who just wanted to worship God. It's funny when we approach some of these stories, we always like to align ourselves with the heroes of the stories, right? Like, I'm kind of Jesus in this story, right? In my life, you're probably not. Um, I mean, you might be. I don't, I don't know you. So um, I just know me. And oftentimes, my flesh wants to go there. And then the Spirit's like, mm, read it again, buddy. Read it again. And, you know, you're Pharisee sometimes. I'm like, oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, Herodian sometimes. I just want to be like Jesus all times. But there's a price to pay for that kind of life. So these guys come together. Let's lay a trap for him. Let's hunt down Jesus. Let's lay a snare for him. You guys watch Looney Tunes when you're growing up like I did? Anybody? Yeah, Bugs Bunny and all that stuff. Is that, I don't even know if that's politically correct anymore to watch some of these cartoons. But there's always, you know, somebody's trying to get somebody, right? And, and the one that they're always after, usually it's Bugs Bunny, he was always one step ahead of them, always one step ahead of them. And they're laying down traps, and he could see right through all the traps. And the enemy always ended up stepping in the trap, right? Like, that's just how it all worked out all, all the time. So envision that within this story. You have Jesus, who's always one, he- one step ahead of us. And these religious leaders who are thinking, like, they're crafting this trap, and they're like, if we cover it with some leaves, he'll never know it's there, right? Like, and you're like, dude, it's, in the, it's right in plain sight. They're like, we'll, we'll get him. We'll come together. Pharisees, Herodians, we're going to trap him. We're going to, um, Luke's gospel says that we're going to spy on him. We're going to spy on him. We'll find something wrong with him. We'll find something wrong with him. So they approach him, verse 14. Uh, I'm reading out of a New Living Translation, so some of the wordage, uh, the verbiage is going to be a little bit different, or the words that are used. Yours is going to say rabbi, mine says teacher, and they mean the same thing, okay? Um, it says teacher, they said. We know how honest you are, liars. Um, they, yeah, no, they, they do know he's an honest guy, but they don't, they, if you understand where they're coming from, rabbi, this is a, a title of respect. Do they actually respect him? No. No, they're manipulating. They're manipulating. And oftentimes, this is what people will do. So be cautious when people come to you and they start like with like the impressive speech and, you know, laying praise on you and all that good stuff. I, I know I've done counseling training in the past um, and one, one method of counseling, and I don't, I don't discredit this at all, but, you know, there's one thing where you got to prop somebody up before you, you know, you got to like lay down the hammer. You know, you want to like, hey, you're not a bad person. I actually love you. I care about you. And then here's everything that's wrong with you, right? But you want to prop them up before you do that. That's not what's happening here. This is more of like, 
they're, they're trying to like, I mean, it's just oozing with uh, just falsehood, okay? They're slimy. These dudes are slimy. Teacher, rabbi, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites, right? You don't, you let anybody approach you. That's what they're saying. All these things they're saying are true, but they don't, they don't honor him. They don't believe in him, all that good stuff. But everything they are saying is true. He was impartial. Anybody could approach Jesus. And even Jesus' disciples had a problem with that, right? Little kids kept coming to Jesus and they're like, get these kids out of here, right? And Jesus is like, what is wrong with you? I like kids, I bring the kids to me. Let me lay my hands on them and bless them and pray for them. That was Jesus's mentality. His followers, the 12, were like, oh, these kids are annoying. Keep them away. And Jesus is like, what is wrong with you? How long have you been walking with me? Three years? You still don't get it. He let anybody approach him. One of the most classic stories is found in John chapter four with the Samaritan woman at the well. He actually engaged with her in a conversation, which is not what, according to the Pharisees, what a good rabbi would do. You don't speak to a woman, especially not that kind of woman, out in public. She's got a history, Jesus. She's got a past. You don't talk to her. You can't talk to her. What are you doing? All your credibility is going to be gone. He's like, I don't care what you think about me. I came for the lost. I came for the sick, and he met that lady at the well, and he had a tremendous conversation with this lady, and it ended up in her getting saved, running back to her village, being an evangelist, gathering up the whole town, and bringing all of them out to meet Jesus, all because he broke their rules, their rules, not his, theirs. In John's gospel, the next story following right after that would be when he approaches a demon-possessed man who nobody was approaching. In fact, it was two demon-possessed men. We know that from, gospel, uh, from Matthew's gospel. But John and also Mark, they, they honed in on the one. And Jesus actually spent time conversating with a guy who nobody could restrain anymore. They chained him down. They treated him like an animal. And he had to live out in the tombs. And he's cutting himself. And he was by all definition, he was possessed by demons. And Jesus set him free. Jesus set him free. Jesus was willing to go all the way across the lake and in having his disciples endure a storm on that lake just to get to two guys that nobody else would approach. How about the lepers? When Jesus is walking around and Jesus actually physically touched lepers, you're not supposed to do that, Jesus. He says, no, immediately when I, because I'm God, immediately when I touch them, the leprosy is gone. He approached people that nobody else would approach. They were absolutely correct in their assessment of Jesus. He did not play favorites. What that means for you and I to, today, whether this is personally for you or for family members or somebody that you love and you care about who does not know Jesus, and it seems like they're too far gone, Jesus doesn't show favorites. Nobody's too far gone. Jesus will cross any lake to get to somebody that nobody else wants to go to. He's still in the business of doing that. And he likes to invite us in on the journey. 
if we're available, if we're willing. You're, you're impartial. You don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now, that we know is a, them saying that. I, I wonder how difficult it was for them to get that out of their mouth because their accusations about Jesus was that he was blasphemous, meaning he spoke against God, falsities against God. And they're like, maybe they mumbled that one, you know, at the end. Like, maybe they just kind of like, you know, kind of got it out there, but you couldn't really tell. Um, I could envision as like, if you put yourself in the story, maybe you're there and Jesus is like, I'm sorry, could you say that last part again? I didn't hear you. Can you say that one again? Maybe one more time. I just want to make sure I got what you just said. You speak the word of God with truth. Oh, yeah, do I? Do I? Because this is going to be the very thing you use to surrender me over to the Romans to have me crucified in just a matter of days. So you're trying to schmooze them, you know, trying trying to win them over. It's all deception. It's all deceit. He said, they go on to say, now tell us, is it right? Is it just? Is it legal? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it okay? Should we pay our taxes or should we not? Should we pay our taxes to Caesar? There are multiple taxes during this time period. There's a temple tax and all that good stuff. But they were living under Roman occupation. Should we, as Jews pay tax to this leader who is uh, a Gentile and who is godless. In fact, he's not just godless. He thinks that he is God. Should we pay taxes to that guy? And they think they got him. They think they got him. I don't know how you would answer this question. Um, Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Those are always tricky questions. Anytime somebody approaches you with like an either or kind of a question, it's just be be on the alert of like, what's behind this question? But here they are, they they, they come together, they had to, you know, go against everything that they had long thought and believed in order just to meet together as opposing groups to come up with this one question, this will get him. Because if he answers this way, then he's in trouble with the Jews. If he answers this way, then he's an insurrectionist and he's going to be arrested and the Romans will take care of him. We got him. We got him. And their human wisdom and human understanding, and they're probably like high-fiving each other and all that good stuff. And the Pharisees are washing their hands afterwards because we don't touch those guys, but whatever. But like, they're like, you know, doing all the stuff, probably celebrating in advance. And this response by Jesus is like classic. I, I wish I had a, 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 just 1% of his, like, his brain power here, right? Like, man, I wish I could think like this, right? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy. He saw through their deceit, their phoniness. And he says to them, before he answers their question, why are you trying to trap me? Right? And so even right then, you know that these guys, like they're, that, that sick feeling hits them in the gut. And they're like, oh no. <laughs> like, oh, how do you know? How do you know? How did this guy know who we remember the story not too long ago when they brought that paralytic man through the roof 
uh, into his presence when he was teaching, and he, the, he had the audacity to tell this guy, first and foremost, your sins are forgiven. Nobody can forgive sins except God himself. And he's like, oh, that's a problem for you. Oh, by the way, hop up, roll up your bed, and get out of here, just to prove to them that he is God and he can forgive sins. These guys remember that story, and they were amazed by that story. And now they find themselves like, oh, how do you know we were trying to trap him? I'm like, do you not know who you're dealing with? Well, you don't. And especially when pride's an issue for you, it's hard to see Jesus. It's hard to see him working when pride's an issue. Why are you trying to trap me? It's just, I mean, he calls him right out. Why are you trying to trap me? And then he goes on to say, show me a Roman coin. Give me a denarius. Give me a denarius. Find fascinating about that is Jesus doesn't have any money. Jesus is broke. Like this totally goes against all, you know, those guys who like this, you know, the, you know, all that prosperity gospel stuff. Then Jesus is a failure according to their theology and doctrine. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. If he were to show up in that kind of setting, he himself is the biggest failure of them all. Because nobody had more faith than Jesus. And you're telling me in this story that he's broke? He didn't have a denarius? He doesn't have one. He doesn't have one. Now, don't go to the other extreme where it's like, if you're a Christian and you have money and you haven't given it all away, then, man, you're carnal. That's not true either. We got to slow down, people. Like, that's just crazy. We love to swing from one to the other. If you have money because God's blessed you with that, praise God. Use it wisely. Use it for his glory. If you don't have any money, well, then I guess you're praying a lot, right? And I know what that feels like because I grew up super poor. I grew up super poor. We're, you're like relying on the Lord for everything. If you have it, you don't have it, hey, you know what? Praise God because he knows how to hook us up with daily bread. He knows how to clothe the, the flowers of the field. He knows how to take care of birds. You're worth more to him than flowers and birds, by the way. So he's like, give me a Roman coin. Show me a Roman coin. Show me a denarius. This is what was circulating around in Jesus' day. And when, an, when somebody took over another land, one of the first things, if not the first things they would do was circulate money all throughout so that you had a constant reminder with you of who was in charge, of who was in charge. And they would also build statues and all that good stuff in, in different areas where they conquered so that you had a visual representation of who was in charge at all times, at all times. And Jesus is like, give me a denarius, give me a coin. So somebody, you know, one of these guys, now these guys have the money because they reach into their pocket and they have a day's wage. And that's de- technically what a denarius is. It's a day's wage. So they, you know, flip a coin to Jesus. He's like, just give me a coin and I'll tell you, I'll answer your question. I'll answer that for you. Verse 16, when they handed it to him, one of the coins, he asked, whose picture and title is stamped on it? He's like, whose picture is on this thing? Who does this coin belong to? Because whoever's image is on it, that's who technically it belongs to. Hopeless, hopeless, red for 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, babe.